so we're continuing in a series that we started last week. Uh, with, if you were not with us, we've started a series in the Psalms for the summer, particularly a set of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Pastor Zach uh, gave us some background to that set of Psalms last week. They're songs that the Israelites would sing as they ascended up to Jerusalem a number of different times a year for various different festivals, always coming to worship the Lord in his house. They would sing these different songs because the various different parts of their journey to Israel, or excuse me, to Jerusalem, would inform things they would sing about. So last week, Zach took us through Psalm 121. Part of that he talked about uh, them singing about looking up toward the, toward the hills, asking where does their help come from. The wilderness territory was a, a threat. There were robbers and, and gangs in the wilderness that were a threat to you as you would travel. And so he talked about how they would look to the hills, not out of fear of that, but rather looking for hope and protection from the Lord as they traveled. And then he bridged that into talking about how the Psalms of Ascent had a very practical application, but also a broader application for God's people. So there was the immediate context of the actual journey to Jerusalem, but there was a broader context of the journey of life to come to worship God. See, the Israelites saw a connection, a very intimate, close connection between life and worship. The Psalms were called the hymn book of Israel because they were songs that the Israelites would sing for various different parts of life because of their experiences. And so life and worship are connected as the people come to worship God in the sanctuary. And we're going to see that continue this morning in Psalm 122. We're going to explore how this psalm particularly speaks to our heart as we come to worship. So turn, if you would, to Psalm 122. It's on page 517 of the Pew Bible, if you have that in front of you. Otherwise, your own Bible, as you find your way there. I want to make a side note uh, that this connection between life and worship continues not just in the Psalms of Ascent, but actually through all of the Psalms. And it just happens to be that we're starting the Psalms in our church Bible reading plan uh, this Wednesday. There are 150 Psalms. We're going to be going one a day from Wednesday through December. And so we would encourage everybody here to take up the challenge of reading a Psalm every day for the next few months until December and think about the way in which life and worship are connected. Maybe you can just read through them. Nowadays, it's become popular to put a lot of different psalms to music. If that is a better way for you to reflect, you can find a number of those on YouTube or other uh, music apps where you can hear these psalms put to music. However you want to do that, we would encourage you and challenge you to read those starting on Wednesday. If we, if we all did that, I think we would come away with some significant reflections on uh, our life together in worship as God's people. So we're going to start as an example with Psalm 122 this morning, and how do we do that together? Let me read it for us, beginning in verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. 
There are thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. So the Israelites last week were journeying towards Jerusalem. This week they've arrived, coming from their various different parts of the country. Verse 2 tells us they're at the gates of Jerusalem, standing in the gates, ready to worship at the house of the Lord. And not just ready to worship, the psalmist tells us, but glad to worship. Verse 1, he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It wasn't simply that he felt obligated to go to worship, although he may very well have. It wasn't that he felt this overwhelming guilt and weight of his sin and had to go to worship, although that might be true as well. He says that he was glad to go to worship. Now for us this morning, coming to the house of the Lord doesn't mean a journey through the wilderness in Jerusalem anymore. Coming to the temple in Jerusalem was the only place for them to worship. That's not true for us today. Maybe your journey was just coming up or down 270 or coming along Page Avenue or whatever other way you arrived here together to worship this morning. Or maybe even if you want to take it metaphorically, maybe the journey for you was your week, your work week, your week with your family or your friends, the difficulties of the week, the struggles, the anxieties, the hopes, the blessings, the griefs of the week. Maybe that was your journey to worship this morning. But if that's the case, metaphorically or actually, how are you coming to worship this morning? Were you glad when you woke up this morning? Were you glad to come to the house of the Lord this morning? That's our primary question that I think the psalmist is going to speak to this morning. Now, since COVID, church attendance uh, numbers are kind of all over the place the last few years, depending on how churches, you know, chose to worship during COVID, whether they went online or not, uh, when they reopened and how they did that. So we don't totally know if church statistics over the last couple of years tell us a lot, but a couple of the things that they do know are as follows. Church members who have historically attended church three or four times a month are now attending just over twice a month on average. Church members who attended two or three times a month are now attending on average about once a month. People started to watch online services out of necessity, of course, during COVID, but many have continued to stay online even when their churches have reopened. Now, I want to offer this and say there are certainly some very valid reasons to some of those trends and some of those statistics. We want to dismiss those, the validity of that. But it begs the question, are people, as the psalmist says, glad to come to the house of the Lord? And should we be? Should we be glad? At the most practical level, it's hard to get up on Sunday mornings. You have a hard week, a long week of work. It's easier to think, I'll just stay in bed this morning. Or I can wake up, stay in my pajamas, turn the TV on, and there's Pastor John, right? I don't know if Dan's still in his pajamas right now. 
As we come to worship, it's easy, it's more convenient, it maybe helps in our tiredness to say, ah, you know, I don't need, do I need to go actually to the place, to the house of the Lord and to worship? For those of us that have kids, as society presses more and more on, you've got to get your kids in activities, they've got to be involved in things for their college resume, for their social skills, more and more of those events are on Sundays as the culture as a whole backs away from Sunday worship. There's pressure to involve your kids in those activities and those events. Those are just some of the most practical levels. For some of us here, there are more serious concerns than tiredness or convenience. Many people, including many of you that I've talked to and met with, have been spiritually or emotionally hurt by the church, whether that's by church leaders or by other church members. At our General Assembly uh, two weeks ago, one of the things that we did was we had to affirm a document on domestic and sexual abuse. It was 200 pages long, a study that had been done over a couple years. And unfortunately, that report had to include a large section on church abuse. Because as the report quoted, the reports of abusive spiritual leadership and or moral failure by called and ordained shepherds is increasing worldwide. So many churches have been embroiled in scandals of sexual abuse, of using their power and abusing their authority. Some of us here have been victims of that kind of abuse. Churches across the country have conflated or sacrificed God's word for liberal or conservative political platforms. Some of you have been hurt by that, or you've been party to that conflation. So in light of all of this, both the practical concerns and the internal spiritual emotional well-being, it's a good question. Should we be glad to come to worship at the house of the Lord this morning? Well, I think the rest of the psalm offers us some reasons why we still can be, why we still should be glad to come. Despite all of these things that I just mentioned, the psalmist believes that it is still good for us to worship in the house of the Lord. We're going to highlight four simple, don't worry, these aren't four huge points, four simple short points of what the psalmist says. Look again with me at verse 3. He begins by saying, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. The psalmist begins by describing Jerusalem. Why? Well, because Jerusalem was the stage for worship. Jerusalem was the background where the temple was. One commentator said that what the psalmist is doing here is he's using Jerusalem as an architectural metaphor for the church. And so when he says that Jerusalem is built as a city that's bound firmly together, he's talking about the unity of God's people when they come to this place for worship. It's a blueprint for worship to be bound firmly together. So think about a city that was bound firmly together. What would that look like? Bricks that fit together perfectly? Beautiful, seamless architecture, buildings and streets that seem to flow together harmoniously, 
No loose stones or gaps in the walls. One scholar said that it would be well built, it would be compactly built, it would be skillfully built, it would be at unity with itself. And this is what the worship in the house of the Lord should look like. It should create a unity amongst God's people that's supernatural. This kind of unity that is created when we come here to worship is a supernatural work of God to bind his people together. Pastor Eugene Peterson described it like this. In Jerusalem, everything that God said was remembered and celebrated. When you went to Jerusalem, you encountered the great foundational realities. God created you, God redeemed you, God provided for you. In Jerusalem, you saw in ritual and you held, proclaimed in preaching the powerful history-shaping truth that God forgives our sins and makes it possible to live without guilt and with purpose. In Jerusalem, all the scattered fragments of experience, all the bits and pieces of truth and feeling and perception are put together in a single whole. This is the description of Jerusalem that is saying to us, this is what worship together in the house of the Lord does for you. It binds us firmly together as God's people. As we come and we hear the truths, the promises of God every week together with one another, we find ourselves being bound together firmly. And we come from all sorts of backgrounds. We come from all sorts of stories and, and histories and families. And that's the second reason why worship in the house of the Lord is good, is because he binds together people who are different from one another. Look at the first half of verse 4. It says that the house of the Lord in Jerusalem is the place, quote, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Notice the plural there, tribes of the Lord. These were different tribes, descended from different patriarchs, from different parts of the country. They came from different families. They had different stories. They had different backgrounds and practices, almost sometimes different cultures. But they would be bound together from those differences into a single whole at worship in the house of the Lord. Now here at Restoration, we happen to have a, a pretty good diversity of ethnicity and age and stage of life. But even if you were at a church or have been at a church before or will be in the future that was more uniform in those ways, each person who's there is still uniquely made in God's image with a unique story and a unique history and a unique family. And the psalmist says that's a blessing. There's a reason to be glad and come to worship at the house of the Lord because worship brings all your individual uniqueness and it binds it together in a family that then loves and cares for one another even in that uniqueness. This kind of unity supernaturally belongs only to the house of God because this is the only place that can bring people together who would never naturally interact, never naturally sacrifice their own comfort for the sake of another person that's different than them, that they wouldn't normally come into contact with, but they come together here at this place. In worship, you experienced it even earlier today, 
we confess in the presence of one another. Then we hear the assurance of pardon, and we hear it for ourselves, and we hear it for our neighbor. And then we stand up, and we face each other, face to face, and we offer the peace of Jesus directly to the face of a person that is different than you, that you might not ever normally have an opportunity to offer. Then we take time and we pray for people. We hear their different concerns. We hear the stories of grief and joy that others are going through, and we celebrate and mourn with each other. Only in this place, gathered together in person every week, face to face, can we experience that. There is no other place like worship in God's house. It's why all of the studies, secular and religious, scientific, all of the studies show us that regular worship attendance leads to less anxiety, less stress, lower rates of drug abuse, lower rates of suicide, more confidence, more optimism, better mental health, better physical health. All of the studies show us that, and those are not accidents. Those are byproducts of a supernatural unity that God's people have when they gather together for worship, caring and loving for one another, another, even in our uniqueness. God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, uses this place, this worship, to bind us together from all of our different tribes and to shape us into the people that we ought to be. That shaping aspect is the third reason why worship in the house of the Lord is good for us. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The order there is important. The command to go to worship comes before the thankful feeling of worship. We think the opposite of that. We often think along the lines of, well, I should be be really thankful for all of the things that God's done for me or motivated in some other way for, uh, to, to go and worship. If I don't feel motivated to go, it's not authentic for me to go. I shouldn't go this Sunday because I don't, I don't feel motivated. I don't feel thankful. I don't have this feeling that would make it authentic for me to go to worship. But this verse says that's actually the reverse. We go to worship first, and through that, God shapes us into worshiping people. Again, quoting Eugene Peterson, he says this, We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God. And I would add feelings for one another. If we wait to come to the house of God for worship until we feel motivated enough or thankful enough or even guilty enough, then maybe it's possible that we never come. It's possible that a global pandemic might remove all of our motivation and we never return to God's house to worship. But if we would commit ourselves to coming into worship, to coming to the act of worship, guess what will be produced? Gladness, unity, love, care, connection. You cannot show up here every week 
and confess your sins and hear the person next to you confessing your sins and not become more of a confessing person in your regular life. You cannot show up here and hear people celebrating the good things in their lives and the blessings they have and not begin to be more excited to show up again and hear more of the blessings and things that are happening to share the great things that are happening in your life. You can't show up here and hear from someone about a family member they lost or a loved one that they lost and not begin to cry with them and to mourn with them and to feel connected to them in their pain. God uses the act of worship to shape us and bind us into a people from all of our diverse backgrounds, all of the places that we're from, all of the families and experiences that we have. He shapes us. And so how does the psalmist end? Well, he ends by saying that all of this work that God is doing is for a purpose. Worship is shaping each of us into people that are part of God's final goal for creation. People of peace. Look at verses 5 through 9. Their thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That repeated word, peace, there is one of the richest words in the Bible. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Hebrew word because it, it got fairly popular in some circles. The Hebrew word there for peace is what we call shalom. Shalom is an incredibly rich word that describes God's work in the world and what God intended for his creation. But what God is doing now in the world is he is bringing shalom. And he's doing that through his people. The gospel, the gospel message, the work of Jesus was to introduce peace back into a world of sin, to restore brokenness, or to restore peace to the brokenness, to restore shalom. And so he's shaping each and every one of us into people of shalom. Peterson describes it this way. He says, shalom is, the, is gathering all the aspects of wholeness that result from God's will being completed in you. It's the work of God that when complete, releases streams of living water in you and pulsates with eternal life. You see, through the work of Jesus, God brings shalom to each of us individually. Then through worship, he forms us and he shapes us into individuals and a community of shalom, of peace. And then that shalom radiates from you everywhere that you go. It radiates from this place out into the world and does the work of restoration that God is about. The psalmist indicates that this shalom can only come through God's people gathering together in God's house for worship. Look at the process of these verses. Verse 5, he starts and says, judgment. Now that might seem like an odd place to start, but not actually if you think for a second about it. Judgment is necessary for peace. 
If, there, if sin came into the world and destroyed God's peace, destroyed God's creation, then there has to be judgment for sin in order for there to be peace in the world. God is serious about sin. And so he expects his people and his leaders, that's why the mention of the kings sitting on the thrones, his people and his leaders to be serious about sin. So he started that process with Jesus' death on the cross, paying for sin, and he continues that work by purifying his people gathered together from their sin. That's why we're always going to be honest about sin here. That's why we will always have a confession of sin every worship service. We're always going to be honest about the commands of God, even when the culture is promoting or encouraging practices that go against his word. We have to be a people who are against sin if there's going to be peace. The psalmist then continues. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And he asks for security and peace within the walls. In other words, he's praying for God's peace and shalom and safety inside the house of the Lord first, which will then flow out to the nation and the nations. That's why violations of peace here in the church, abuse and the things we mentioned earlier, that's why they're so, so heinous. Because this is supposed to be the place of shalom. This is supposed to be the starting point of God's shalom going out in the world. Verses 8 and 9 say that instead of abusing one another, God's people should extend peace to one another. They should do good to one another here first. And then that overflows into the places you live outside of this place. So as we close, I want to encourage you to be glad to come to the house of God for worship each week. We intentionally have included all of these different elements that we've talked about in our worship services. We greet you when you arrive. We welcome you. We give time before and after the service to share with one another about the joys and difficulties of life. In the service, we confess our sins individually and corporately. Then we hear the public assurance that that sin has been dealt with, that sin has been paid for. The judgment is complete for that sin. Then we have an opportunity to give from our resources. And that giving goes to making this a place for more people, your neighbor sitting next to you, to come to worship. Then we extend, or excuse me, then we pray for specific people here, for the concerns in their lives. Then we stand up and we extend the peace of Jesus to one another, face to face. Then we listen to God's word, where he shapes us by encouraging us or challenging us. Then we come, as we will in a moment, forward to the table where we celebrate our unity, our bondedness together at this table. And then we end with the benediction where you're blessed with the peace of Jesus to go out in the world the rest of the week and bring that peace. All of this is commanded by God for your good. It enables you to be glad to come to worship, which is why We'll end with these words from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of shalom that's coming.
There is no other place that God has ordained for your good that's the same as worship with God's people in God's house. Let me pray and then we'll celebrate that together by coming to the table. Father, we, we thank you for this psalm that your people would sing as they came to worship. We pray that it would challenge us, that it would shape us, that it would turn us into people who are glad to come to worship, people of shalom. Be with us today. In your name we pray. Amen.